So this is uh, oops, just a second. Thing going here. Okay, this is uh, lesson number twenty-five. Uh, which mind? Which mind are we talking about? And it's uh, April the eleventh, twenty twenty. And I'm going to begin this morning by backing up just a little bit. So after uh, last week's lessons, uh, I have to thank Forrest for stepping up for that. And uh, we had a little bit of a duplication in lessons and whatever. And I thought this week I would do the same thing uh, all over and uh, we will uh, consider as many things as we can. Uh, let's turn up. I'll ask you to turn to John 18. We looked at this previously. John, uh, John, okay, get my book here. We looked at this in a previous lesson, and perhaps two lessons, just briefly. But I failed to mention, to my knowledge, that uh, there is the, the word "mind" uh, appears in this passage, and I didn't say a word about that fact. And that's our whole issue here is we're looking at the different minds we find in Scripture. So, um, let's just turn to 18. Let's begin in verse 32, John 18, 30, I said 32, uh, 33. In fact, I'm going to back up just a little bit here. Verse 28. Uh, then led they Jesus from Caiaphas into the hall of judgment. That's uh, the high priest at that time. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled. They being the high priest and those elders that were accusing the Lord of, of uh, certain things. We would not have delivered him up unto thee. And by the way, the word malefactor here uh, is the same term that Paul used in Second Timothy chapter Two, I might just look at that just one second, because uh, Paul suffered of many things that uh, that the other disciples did for his for what he took on in his ministry, and you've sure heard this verse many a times, I'm sure. Verse nine, we read, "Wherein I suffered trouble as an evil doer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not found." So at this point in Paul's life, he was no longer, he had no benefit whatsoever being a Roman citizen. His citizenship meant nothing because the laws have changed now. Because Nero, after uh, the event that uh, concerning the, the fire and so forth, burning Rome and whatever, is now blaming Christians in particular for uh, what had happened. And so Paul now can say he's an evildoer. He's being tried as an evildoer, opposed as a Roman citizen. So we have those two thoughts in our mind we can rightly divide. That is, the time that he was a Roman citizen and he got certain treatment as a result of it versus the fact that here he is being accused, being tried for an evildoer. And that's a very strong word. So... Everything that Paul had going for him 
in one respect, at least against, with the Roman government, uh, was now no longer the case in Second uh, Timothy. But anyway, back to uh, verse 30. They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Now, if you go back and you trace and you look at each of the four Gospels of this event, uh, there was an argument, particularly... First, there was the fact that the Lord had a trial with Caiaphas, the high priest, and those elders. And then he was to to, uh, Pilate, and and they were requesting Pilate to take care of him and put him to death. And Pilate, if we go back through all these scriptures and compare them, uh, and the first attempt they made with him, he asked some questions to the Lord, and the Lord didn't answer him. And we, we've already looked at that, that he said nothing when, uh, when they asked him if he was uh, the king. And he asked him what, his, what, what was uh, being accused of and whatever, and he didn't say a word. Now, this is the second time we're going to read in verse... 33, we'll get there, but just a second, just a moment. So he says, uh, Then Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. And the Jews, uh, the Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to take any man to, to death, put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. And then, then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again. So he had left the Lord in the judgment hall, and now he goes back in. So this is the second time. And I believe the other three occasions speak of the first time. But they, did, they needed a good, strong argument against him, so they had changed their tune to the fact that they're going to blame him of claiming to be a king and that he was doing... Uh, a disservice to the Roman government, and he was trying to overpower uh, the Roman government. That was their new attack. Well, that got Pilate's attention. Pilate is looking for something to blame the Lord for here, so he he can justly accuse him. But he's having trouble with it. And the Lord, the first time we read, he he said nothing. He said spoke. He spoke not a word. So now we have this. Uh, next occurrence when he takes him in, in there. And, and this time, in John's account, we're going to get some words spoken to John as opposed to not saying a word. So he said, uh, verse 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake signifying what death he should die. And this is the narrator, John the narrator, speaking of, and I don't have the reference, back a few chapters where he he uh, prophesied of this. Verse 33, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? He is wanting him to say yes. He's wanting him to jump into this thing and talk against the Roman government or whatever. So he can clear his mind. Or he was, he's going to clear his mind, hopefully, uh, against those who are uh, accusing him. Jesus answered and said to him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? And you'll notice that the Lord doesn't sugarcoat anything. He speaks the truth. He's, he doesn't want to become this guy's friend and be put on, let out of uh, the situation or whatever. But he, he asked that question. And Pilate answered and said, Am I a Jew? 
Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered thee unto, the, unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, and here's the answer. So here's the words that the Lord does speak to Pontius Pilate. This is good confession. And let's pay attention a little bit to what he says here. My kingdom is not of this world. So right away he tells Pilate, he's basically saying, you don't have to worry about me overthrowing your government and trying to overthrow it. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. This is not exactly what, uh, I don't think this is exactly what the pilot wanted to hear, but he says something that's going to, he's going to marvel at. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. And Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? This time the Lord answers that question. He says, Thou sayest, Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate, then Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And uh, of course we've probably heard many, sub, uh, many addresses of this particular uh, verse. But we see here that the Lord says something to him that he could not really accuse him of. So he, can still, he, still, is not, he still finds no fault in him. So he's basically telling him that he's not of this, his uh, royalty and so forth is not of this earth. But this is something totally different. And, it, and, and I think it, it puzzles uh, Pilate a little bit here because I, he wanted to get this thing over with. And he, he goes out again a second time and he says, he says, We have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? So here's another attempt on Pilate's part to do so. And that to, to release the Lord. And then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Bar- uh, now Barabbas was a, a robber. So, uh, with this passage, this is the only place we find that the Lord speaks words um, to, to Pilate. And it's, those, it's the good confession that he made that we're kind of looking at here, or looking for here, that we find over in 2 Timothy. And this whole thing was written to Timothy, that good confession was written to Timothy for a reason, and that was that Timothy himself would acknowledge these things, and this would be the reason to keep him going and not being uh, going astray from the truth and so forth. So the issue here is truth. And, of course, uh, the, directly here in this passage is about truth. And that Pilate... His response is, what is truth? But we will read in a moment or two about the fact that what he did marvel over. Two things that, he, that Pilate marveled about, showed admiration to the Lord about. And this was a very confused man at this time. And if you read on, he, takes, he has his soldiers scourge him and so forth. And he did that. I believe he did that with... Uh, the fact that there was, he wanted these people to understand 
what they were doing. That is, those who were betraying the Lord. And that generally they would not have any uh, any desire to um, to chum up with a uh, a Roman, with a Gentile. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're doing this to, to take it off their own chest. Pilate is not cooperating with them. And so he scourges them and I think in hopes of that they'd say, hey, wait a minute, that's going too far. And and it's just the opposite. And of course they uh, they want him to be crucified and so forth. So that is kind of where we're leaving off from this, this particular subject concerning uh, what we read in Second Timothy, uh, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter six. But I do want to do a look at one thing here, and we're going to move on to some uh, some other uh, locations here. And did I? Uh, let me see. You know, I meant to start off with this one issue, and that is Matthew sixteen twenty one. We didn't do that, did we? Okay, let's go to before we go further. Let me. Look at let's look at a passage here in Matthew chapter 16. We looked at this over the last week or two of our lessons. Uh, we read this passage, but I failed to indicate to you that the word mind is incorporated in the things that are being said here. Now, please let me know if I'm repeating something. Uh, my mind has kind of strayed in different directions here, and uh, I want to make sure that I'm not repeating. In Matthew 16. Verse 21, you, you, you will remember this perhaps if you were with us in the last few weeks. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And be raised again the third day. And then Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou, speaking to Peter, savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You mind not the things of God. Here's our word mind. This is the word phreneo. This is phroneo, which in the in the Greek. This is the word that's used nine times, I believe it is, in the book of Philippians, in verses that Ron read this morning. And so, there's something to say about this particular word. This is one of at least nine or ten Greek words that has to do with the mind. And there's more than that, but these are the the root words that we're speaking of. So, here was the issue with Peter. And that is that he did not mind the things that be of God, but he minded those things that be of men. And that summarizes, probably if we're going to talk about the mind, particularly of a believer, this is the issue. And the word, when you think of the word savoring, you think of mm, something that tastes really good. And so that's, that's pretty much where this word comes from, that... Uh, this is what our mind is capable of doing, and so Peter, if you you know if you read what Peter said and so forth, and how he said you know he, he would fight for him and so on and so forth, you know it, it's it's all good thinking at least on the part of a man, but it is not the mind of God. So what we're interested in here is in our life 
is the mind of God and not the mind of men. Even things that appear to be godly, you know, defending the truth, is that the mind of God? Is that what He really wants us to do? Is defend, put on, bring out the armor and start swinging the sword when we hear something we disagree with? Uh, I mean, really, if you look at this verse, it goes pretty deep. And so, I'll just mention that it is used in Philippians. And it is used of the mind of Christ and the mind that we need and just remind us of that particular thing. So if I turn to Philippians chapter 2, the first time we see this word appears in verse, verse 2, ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. So the word for nail occurs here on that last time. I believe it's also associated with like-minded. Let's read another verse, chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind, this is the mind of Christ. Let this mind, this is for the exact same word, the exact same word we we read back over here in in Matthew. Uh, Is this the mind, with this mind we are to savor shall we say, we should love the fact that we want the mind of Christ. Chapter 3, 15. Same word. And in some place, in some occurrences here, it occurs more than once in the verse. Uh, So, in 3, verse 15, we read, Let us therefore as many be perfect, as be perfect, be minded. And if anything ye be Otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So being thus minded has to do with what Paul had just said before. And what he's talking, he's talking about a prize and a race and so forth. So that's the mind that we want. That's the mind of Christ. Furthermore, uh, verse 16. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind. Let us savor the same thing. In verse 19, whose end is destruction? Well, we've got to read a couple of verses before. Uh, verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly Thing. So in this book, we have the mind of God, the mind of Christ, and we have the mind of men, or earthly things. Uh, furthermore, in chapter 4, verse 2, I beseech Eudeus and beseech Sintic that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Once again, he repeats what he speaks of in chapter 2. And finally, in verse 10 of chapter 4, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful. Wow, did I read the right verse here? I'm in 14. Uh, your care. Okay, the word care here is phreneo. Of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And I, I'm, uh, I wrote that down this morning. And I'm looking at it with a question mark on my mind, but I'm pretty sure that's what that word is there, and I apologize. 
Uh, let's see what Mr. Bollinger had to say about that. Yeah, care. It's the word for nail. So it's the word care and the word uh, careful. It has to do with uh, that mind. So anyway, that that's just keeps us in line with the fact that what I found about the difficulty of this study is it's not just a matter of looking up a bunch of words and then reading the verses for you. Because that word mind is hidden in a lot of these places. And um, I have to admit that most of the time I'm stumbling across them as opposed to uh, finding them easily in a concordance. So uh, anyway, that's those are thoughts that... Uh, that go along with what I think we're doing here in Matthew. And I want to I want to move forward with this uh, particular subject. Uh, we put a bunch of time right here in the Gospels, particularly this last event of the Lord. Let me read a couple more verses to you here in Mark chapter 15. The first few verses here. Um, we're still talking about this issue, the Lord before Pilate and so forth. In the first five verses, we read this. And straightway in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? So this is the first occurrence that the, he first time that the, uh, he meets the Lord. And he answered, he said it to him, Thou sayest it. So the Lord answered, You said it, you're right. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. So once again, this word uh, is the word that has to do with the fact that shows some admiration. You can tell that something clicked with Pilate here. I'm not saying Pilate became a believer that day, although there's things that... Uh, one thing I find in the Gospels is that the Gospels are strictly written for the nation of Israel. And, it's, and they were, the Lord directed His attention to them. But occasionally, a Gentile pops into the picture, and those people have more faith, the Lord says, than the others, than those who should. And so, I only say that because, uh, you know, I can't say for a fact one way or another what happened to Pilate in, in his mind and his heart. I think he cared mainly about his his uh, job, so to speak. He didn't want to lose his job and whatever. But he, there was something about him that that caught his attention that this is more than just anybody walking in here um, and, and, and you know, but under these conditions. And he saw something different about the Lord um, in, in that respect. So also in chapter 15, if we look over at verse, let's go to verse 42. Uh, this was after the Lord, <clears throat> this was the Lord on the, was put on the cross. And he had died. At this point, he had died. And uh, we read in verse 42, And now when the evening was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph, so it's, it's getting near dawn. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, it's, it's, 
the, the sun is near setting. That's the time of the next day, which would be the preparation day. And Joseph of Arimathea, and I believe we read in another account of also Nicodemus, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly. So here's a guy who's a, a member of the Sanhedrin. He's an honorable counselor. And he goes in boldly on the Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead. And calling to him the centurion, he asked him whether or not he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. So he was, something had crossed his mind here. I would suggest what the Lord told him face to face. But something caught his attention that this guy should be still out there bleeding to death. You know, that's, uh, it's my understanding that these uh, people can, or people who've been crucified live more than a day. I mean, through a couple of days and so forth. But he marveled at it and he must have, it must have gone through his mind that, hey, something is special about this guy. Uh, this is, you know, very unique. So, anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. But uh, these words, uh, every once in a while, when we look at them, they mean something very special. And the fact that he marveled, he admired something, and uh, and so forth. So, having said that, we've kind of covered that uh, aspect. I, what I thought I might do, and I'm, I'm really not going to spend much time, and we'll stop early today, uh, is there are seven... Now I say that, and I'll probably speak for another 30 minutes. But uh, there are seven occasions with the, uh, the, where the Lord spoke while He was hanging on the cross, and I will just call that to your attention. I think without going um, going into each of those, and I'll leave it up to you to to do this to look at those if you're interested. I think what I'm going to do though is I'm going to read. From uh, this lesson that I had written in time, just a, for a couple of minutes, not not the whole thing, and this introduces the fact that there are seven passages that are recorded of the words of the Lord while on the cross. So the good confession of our Lord is said to have been witnessed before Pontius Pilate. However, the testimony of his faithfulness did not end in the Roman judgment hall but continued until he drew his last breath. Even as he made his way to Calvary after being beaten and scourged, he exhibited no self-pity. Rather, his concern was for others. Luke 23, 27-29 And there followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. That's that's Luke 23, 27-29. From the time of his sentencing until his death, we read nothing to indicate that he challenged or defended the Roman soldiers who mocked and published him punished him. In spite of the great physical and mental stress, he maintained his focus on the purpose for which he came, which he came, and that is the cross. Uh, one thing that really 
gets me about this study is what the mind of Christ was during these last 24 hours of his life. It's amazing. I mean, it's it's unbelievable almost. I mean, speaking on human terms, you could say this is un- this is unbelievable. As many people would say, this is crazy anyway. They disagree with it. Uh, the scriptures record seven times that the Lord spoke while on the cross. The number seven represents perfection. Perfection in the New Testament expresses the idea of finishing or completing something, being faithful and being faithful to the end. It is no coincidence that God in His infinite wisdom directed the hands of the writers of the Gospels. So we have four Gospels and of those who wrote, they recorded these last seven verses. Those are my words again. Uh, Christ... The last seven specific statements that Christ made in the last hours of his life. It is likely that he spoke more than what was recorded in those seven pages passages. There is evidence that he quoted several passages of Scripture that were appropriate for those few hours on the cross. This is certainly in line with the way he conducted his life. From the beginning of his ministry in the wilderness, when he responded to Satan's charges, he quoted Scripture. And as he hung on the cross and was reviled and mocked by those who passed by, the chief priests, scribes, and elders, rather than defend his, rather than defend his innocence, he responded by quoting scripture. If there's the least that we could, if there's just the least tiny bit of, of and this is my words, of, of uh, us being able to understand the mind of Christ, or to understand how to use our mind, there is certainly a picture here that we should recognize. If we could come to that point in our life where we can quote Scripture under any circumstance, whether it's in thought or whether we speak it with our mouth, this is what the Lord did. So the the following are... Uh, what did I finish reading that? Uh, so let me back up a little bit. And as he hung on the cross and was reviled and mocked by those who passed by, the chief priests, scribes, and elders, rather than defend his innocence, he responded by quoting the scripture. These seven passages fittingly express the Lord's faithfulness to the very end, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Hebrews 12.2 So the following are four of the seven. Well, I'm going to give you all seven of them. Uh, we're not going to go into these. I don't think we'll cover this next week. But for your own benefit, your own personal study, and I assume you, I'm sure you have looked at this perhaps before. Uh, we begin with Luke 23:34, and we read that then said Jesus, "This is on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." So we could spend uh, a lot of time just now. Uh, going through that. Uh, the next one is. Did I mark these? Okay, the next one is uh, Luke 23:42. And he, the malef- that's the malefactor, said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Or 
we should properly word that. Verily I say unto thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Uh, the third occasion is in John 19, 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. I, we, know, we ought to look at that in more detail here, but I believe he's, he's referring to John. And you, if we go back and you remember just before the Lord went into the, the judgment hall that all his disciples left him, uh, I don't believe that included John. And, uh, or maybe it did. And maybe, but he did stand by Mary, who was witnessed this whole thing. But anyway, uh, there's much more that can be said about this. And number four is Matthew 27:46. I'm doing. I believe these are in chronological order. That's five. What? Two in John. Was that two or one in John? I'm sorry. Number two. Number two was John 19:26 and 27. This is Matthew. This is this is the fourth one. Matthew 27:46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, and he speaks in Aramaic, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, the next one, that's number four, okay. So. Number five is in John 19.28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, and that's teleo, what the scripture might that the scripture might be fulfilled, teliao, saith I thirst. So that's that word that he took something to an end. He finished what he was supposed to accomplish. Uh, that was John nineteen twenty eight. And number six. Uh, I get this right here. In John 19.30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And finally, in Luke 23.46, and then we'll say something about both of these last two. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So we have two verses here, different writers, that speak about giving up the ghost. Uh, but so, so these are the last two things that he said on the cross. It is finished, and into thy hands I commend my spirit. So I believe he said, it is finished, just before he said that I uh, commend my uh, hand, that this in my hands, I commend my spirit. So anyway, those are seven passages. I think I'm going to stop there. One uh, one thing uh, that I thought I would do, but uh, but I didn't, and that is the issue with uh, Pilate was he he ended with asking the question of what is truth, and I, I'm sure you've heard many people speak on that particular subject. I'll say this on behalf of the fact that God does. 
things or writes things, puts things in the Word in a way that you have to search, but you will find the answer in the Word. And not your opinion or my opinion or anybody else's opinion. It's how the Lord has structured the Word itself, the Scriptures itself. And so, in the book of John itself, of the four Gospels, and you can uh, look at the first, uh, if you have a companion Bible, look at that preface to the book of John, where he gives a long list of words that have to do, or that are more specific to the book of John, and, who, and that speaks thing of the book of John. So the word true, uh, there's four different words in the Greek there of the same root, uh, which we read the word true or truth, that word that we just read in, uh, in the book of John, <coughs> the, of what Pilate said, the word truth there, is one of, one of 56 occurrences in the book of John. If you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I didn't write down the quantity, but it's far less. All three of those put together is far less. So the Lord specifically has put something in the book of John just in the way that He's used words. And if you go through the book of John, I will give you these Verses. This is part. This is part. I was going to do this morning. I'll take. We'll do it next week. But, but uh, John one one seven one through seventeen speaks of truth. This is it. This is in the beginning was the word, and it speaks of truth, and uh, and it speaks of Christ Himself as becoming uh, what is it? Grace and truth. Uh, and, and it speaks of Him being the true grace. I believe is the way that's worded there. Uh, in John chapter 4, 19 through 24, I don't have the what each of these contain, but they, I believe that's where the uh, Samaritan woman at the well, uh, the Lord had had some things to say to her about truth. In chapter 8, 30 to 32 uh, through 35, I'm sorry, 32, 32 through 35, uh, we have another passage, 14. 17, and I'm going to read a couple here and we'll, we'll end. Uh, he, he also does it in chapter 17. I'm sorry, I didn't write down all the exact verses. But in chapter 16, I'll end with this. This was uh, prior to the Lord's final prayer in chapter 17. And if you go to chapter 17 and read that prayer, uh, and you'll read these words. Sanctify. Here's part of his prayer. Sanctify them. And who's the them? That's these of his his disciples, those who follow him. It's going to carry out the truth. He says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This pretty much sums it all up. And this was his prayer for them. So if you think about, if you stop and think about this, God has through the pen of John answered the question that we read from Pilate. And that is, what is truth? And that answer is in these particular verses and the uses of this word. And I'm going to just read a few verses here try not to, and try to end it with this. In John chapter 16, uh, the Lord speaking to His disciples, and I think it's more than just the twelve, he says, These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. 
You know, I've always wondered about the Apostle Paul. Did he ever come in contact with the Lord? I mean, I believe he was he lived during that particular time. And um, anyway, this is a description of Paul. He killed people. He had people put to death thinking he was doing God a service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, ye remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expe- Here's some truth. If this applies to us in a different way. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come. I mean, what they would have liked to have seen was the Lord at that point made himself king and take over the world, so to speak. And that was not going to happen. That was not in the great wisdom of God's mysterious plan through the ages. For if I go not away, the comfort will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to the, my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. This is just shortly before the Lord was going to hang on the tree. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come... He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. Now I'm going to stop there and just make a comment about these last few words. It was necessary for the Lord to die. This was in the great scheme and mind of God throughout way long before the ages. And that... Truth, this is part of truth. But here he speaks of the spirit of truth. He was going to leave these disciples and they were going to, he, uh, he's not going to leave them uh, orphans. And I believe he says that in uh, one of the, not too far from here, maybe it's in chapter 14. I think he speaks about, uh, in my house there are many mansions. And that's so been misquoted so often as to mean that's what we have to look forward to as a mansion someday. And of course, these were the many abodes that had to do with the temple, and it had a whole different perspective of what was what truth was. But um, now, why why did I even say that? <coughs> uh, but anyway, the these people were very dear to the Lord, and we re, we'll find that out in chapter 17. But they were going to live. On this earth, after the Lord has had ascended, they're going to have to live through the to the Acts period and put their trust in the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, or the spiritual, the power from above, as well as we too. Even to this day, we who would did not live through this time, uh, we ourselves have a new man that has been placed within us. This is the Spirit of God. And it's 
the ever-changing thing, it's the all-changing thing, shall I say, in our life that is of any significance. So anyway, this is the subject concerning truth. So there's a lot that can be, a lot more that can be said here, but I, I want to interject the fact that I believe the answer lies primarily within the book of John. And so if we go through and look at all those occurrences, I think that will help us understand uh, what's going on here. Well, I have to confess that I've lied to you again. Nine minutes ago I said I was going to stop, and now it is right on the dot of 45 minutes. So anyway, I apologize for that. No, I guess I don't apologize. Uh, We thank the Lord for that, and we uh, hope and pray and ask the Lord that he shows us this truth in in a very spiritual sense that we need it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you for your great plan for the ages and how we play part of it and play a role in it. And we thank you so much for the hope that we have in you. And we thank you for this group of believers and for what we share in Christ. And these things we thank you now in the name of our Lord Christ Jesus. Amen.